Hey, welcome to episode 78 of the Gig Life Podcast. I'm your host, Stevie Taylor. Now, before we chat to Emma Pask, I just wanted to remind you that you can subscribe to the Gig Life Podcast. Go to thegiglifepodcast.com, scroll to the bottom of the first page and click on that red button. Pick your favorite podcast app and hit that subscribe button. Um, you can even set it to uh, automatic download so all those new episodes get delivered straight to your app. Also, if you dig the Gig Life podcast, please share it. Share it with your friends, share it on your socials or whatever. Also, the Gig Life podcast is free. You don't have to pay anything ever. But if you find the value in the Gig Life podcast, you can donate. Go to thegiglifepodcast.com and click on the donate button. You can give as little or as much as you like. Just know that your donation will go back into creating the content for this podcast. Okay, episode 78. Emma Pask, here we go. Today is Emma Pask. Award-winning vocalist Emma Pask has firmly established herself as one of Australia's favourite voices in jazz. Her effortless, honest stage presence, combined with her powerful vocal ability, leaves audiences spellbound and inspired whenever she takes the stage. While Emma's voice and style are unique and individually her own, her performances are reminiscent of the classic era of jazz when swing was top of the charts. Her talent was first spotted by internationally renowned jazz great James Morrison when she was just 16 years old. She joined his band as the lead vocalist at 16 and went on to spend a solid 20 years touring the world with Morrison. In 2013, Emma was asked to try out for the season two of The Voice, then promised by Ricky Martin to sing on his album. That didn't happen. She secured a record deal with Universal. That didn't quite go to plan either. But after an amicable split with the record company, Emma was again an independent artist. Also add to all of that, there's solo records, tours all around the world, and always high praise for her band and musicians she works with. And did you know that Emma was the voice of Dorothy the Dinosaur? Uh, We talked about all that stuff. I also asked her about her vocal technique, her vocal scatting, which is a part of Emma's sound. We were supposed to meet up in person for this podcast, but COVID-19 hit so we connected via the video. So please excuse the sound quality in some places. As the great jazz virtuoso James Morrison says of Emma, whilst it's fashionable to be a jazz singer these days, she's the real deal. So ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for Emma Pask. Cheers. Just in love, sweet song keeps I think we're rolling. Welcome to the... Po- to the. I'll try that again. I think we're rolling. 
I think, <laughs> I think we're rolling. Welcome to the Gig Life Podcast, Emma Pask. Thank you. Say, was that the Giggle Life Podcast? Is that what the, I said? The Giggle, the giggle, no, life, no, the giggle life Podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's going to be the Giggle Life yeah. Podcast. <laughs> How you going? Good, mate. Cheers. Yep. Here yep. we go. Oh, yeah. Cheers to you. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. But no one can see what we're doing. But, no, no, we're but, cheersing. Yeah, we're I've cheering. got a beer and Emma's got a wine. So um, um, we're in the midst of this whole uh, COVID-19 thing. Um, yeah, heavy. It is heavy. Um, can you tell us the impact that that's had on uh, your career, your work? I'm glad we've got this red wine and beer. You've got a beer? <laughs> got a beer. Yeah. <laughs> Not that it's my crux. I don't need to lean on alcohol. <laughs> but, um, yeah, well, gosh, the effect. I mean, now we're, we're sort of, what, a couple of weeks in, aren't we, really, to our Australian awareness yep. as a country. Um, so if I'm honest with you, yeah, a couple of weeks ago when it first happened um, and, you know, you speak to your agent that day and, and it's like, hang on a minute, everything's, whoa, whoa, there's something heavy going on, you know. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And then all your, yeah, all your gigs and everything that you've got lined up for the next at least few months and then even things into December that we'd sort of locked down mm. um, have all either been postponed or cancelled. And it was just like this whirlwind panic. Um, and I really do it, I have to admit that, honestly. I, I, it was like the weight of the world. Like you took on so much in a, in a matter of 48 hours of learning. Mm. It was like, you know, selfishly, immediately your own thing affected you because you're being told that you can't work, there's no gigs. And then, you you know, as more and more information comes to you by the minute or the hour, you're finding out what a global pandemic this is and how many people are suffering. Um, And then you're thinking about your own work, but then you're thinking about your mates who may not be, you know, as set up or as secure as others and and this whole ricochet effect. Mm. And so it was was just so heavy and it is still so heavy. I'm not, I I don't mean at all it's not heavy still, but I think just the amount of time that's passed in the last, two weeks um, and you've realised that you can't control it so you've actually got to let go, yeah. which is really bizarre. Yeah, and um, that, I, that's something I've um, I've done. We, we, like we were talking the other day and mm. um, you said you, that you, you ended up seeing that post I had on Facebook. I had a bit of a breakdown. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, um, but for me it was like, like I'm, I'm cool with telling people that I'm not doing okay, and I kind of posted that on yeah, my social media. I think that's great. And yeah. um, during that time, I was really, really struggling with the whole thing. Um, my kids, my family didn't know what was happening with my work, with my wife's work, sure. that kind of thing. And then just reading, mm. reading too much, and yeah, going down yeah. these rabbit holes, and it really, really messed me up. But I found, a, you know, almost two a week and a half after after that happened for me, I'm in a kind of cool place with it now, you know. It's still fucked yeah, up. Interesting. It's still messed it's up. up yeah. yeah. It's still um, heavy as shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, I hear you. But um, I think your honesty with that is is remarkable. I wish that I'd known you as in like we were, yeah. you know, we've only got to know each other in the last week. Mm. I wish that we'd known each other because I, I certainly would have reached out if, you know, and given you a buzz because I, I totally know. Yeah, actually, and, and it was only really a matter of days ago for me really that I, had that same thing. It was all overwhelming and I found myself on the on the living room floor sobbing. Yeah. And it was just the weight of everything. Yep. Of everyone and, and and the the weight of the human social shift. And I think, you know, when you and I have spoken recently, 
you know, I'm not good with change. I'm really not good with taking change fast. And so this, it was all a bit too much. And yeah, just the worry and uh, about everyone and everything kind of really, yeah, it's not, it's, it's, yeah, you've got to talk about it. You've yeah, got to talk t- about it. Totally. And, um, I got, yeah, I got heaps of people reach out and, mm. and, and that was awesome. And a lot of those people reached out saying, actually, man, I, I need someone to talk to. So, cause I, yeah, so totally. I got on a couple of uh, Zoom chats with people and Facebook Beautiful. messenger chats and we just kind of talked it through and it, it, it was cool. Man. Yeah. You know, it was. That connection is every, is, is everything, isn't it? The yeah. connection with people yeah. and the time that this, like we said, you know, you can't actually, there's so much, so much we can't control about this. Mm. and what's going on there's things that you can i mean sure worry about the things that you that you that are in your control and, and work on what you can mm. but the things that are out of your control you yeah, you just can't you can't do anything about it and so that that connection with people is yeah it's really really awesome mm. i i rely on that too i, I want to be there for as many people as i can but then like yeah like you said i, I actually need to go oh guys i'm having a bit of a moment i need to talk about this yeah and, it's, yeah, it's, and the thing that got me too was only recently someone had posted something on Facebook or something about a gig that we did. And I went, oh, yeah, and when are you working, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, oh, well, we'll see you on the next gig. And I, uh, my, my, my heart just went like, oh, the next gig. Oh, God. And I just realized how much I already now am missing my band and my, my boys and the girls and the people that I work with. I thought shit, when, when's it going to be that we can do what we do and what we love so much? Like, how long is it going to be? Mm. And I know I don't want it down like an alarmist or a dramatist, no, but no, it, it's heavy. Yeah. It, it's actually, if it is six months, that's six months. That's a long time to not be with your band it sure is, and yeah. your people, yep. you know. Mm. That physicality and that creativity and that that thing that we get to do together, you yeah. know, which we get so much joy out of, the reason we do what we do. Yeah, totally. Um, it's, and, and it's sad. It was cool a couple of weeks ago you and Phil Stack did that live feed the live oh, feed yeah. Facebook video thing that was cool. that was really cool and there's oh, I, I was, yeah and there's there's a lot of that sort of stuff going on now too which is cool so if you're sitting there is home a lot of a, that, yeah. yeah sitting home on a Friday I get it. It's, it is it's cool yeah yeah, yeah. it's a necessity you know like that was that was that was right at the sort of yeah start of it coming down i just called stacky and said like i said mate and that was before the time you know it was when we were kind of allowed or we you know that line yeah. we don't we're, not, we're all not even really sure what we're supposed I, to I do know. Or what we can or can't do yet. Saying, but yeah. it was before the line of you can go to your mate's place you know yeah. like yeah. keep your socialism but you could go so we i said to phil i don't I know what to do and I, all i all i want to do is sing and i want to play with you and he was like yeah i want to play and i said and then i so i want to selfishly sing for myself you know but i i want to sing for anyone else out there who's saying to me can you do this or we miss you or whatever so it's like oh yeah and then just that thing of yeah, like I say, that hit with your mates, you know, to make music or to, to have that feeling you get when you play. Mm. And I just said, oh, you know, let's do it. And Phil, Phil, it was the first time both of us had actually done that ever, really, I think. Mm. Um, Phil certainly wasn't, he'll tell you, he's not the, the most tech-savvy of guys. He was like, oh, how do we do it? Okay, yeah, cool, all right. <laughs> so we had a lot of fun and, yeah. and it was so good. The it best was. part about it was, um, oh, are you there? Yeah, yeah, can you hear me? glitched out yep. yeah the, the best part about it was the was the connecting you know we were having a ball doing our thing and then people were writing messages going like yeah i love that can you play this song or yeah. can you do that and it was cool it was that interaction that i know that we're gonna you know a month or two down the track we're gonna be missing a lot you know yep. I, I love an audience i love people yep. i love connecting hmm. you know that's anyway. awesome 
That's but it was cool. It was good fun. Um, what's probably been especially difficult um, for yourself and a lot of people was earlier this year we lost a dear friend, Natasha Stewart. Oh, um, yeah. And um, – I mean, you guys Can we did... just say how shit 2020 is? Yeah, so exactly. I saw something today on Facebook. Um, who feels ripped off if they purchased a, 19, uh, a 2020 um, uh, daily planner or monthly planner? <laughs> <laughs> you chucked that away. Yeah, it's man. all out the window. Ripped off. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. And look, yeah, you've got to laugh. Otherwise, yeah, you will be like us and you'll cry. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been a heavy, heavy year, mm. a heavy year, and it's only it's only April. It's only April. Or yeah. March. What is March, April? Yeah. It's April. On. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right, Emma, let's um let's delve back, roll back to where it all began for you and um for music and, and or you know, just your life really. Um you're from Como. Yay. Yep. Yes. Yep. Um yep. George's River. Yep, cool. Musical family. Um, appreciative, appreciative of music and great music, mm-hmm. not, not working musicians or anything like that. Uh, and when I say family, you know, growing up for me was in Como, like you said, on the edge, on the edges of the Shire. You could almost call me a Shire girl. Yeah, yep. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was just my mum, my dad, my brother, who's four years older than me and my grandmother. Um, and she, my family were all British, so from the UK. So we didn't have um, many family out here. Such, uh, were so you were you born were you born in Australia? I was born in Australia. Yep, yeah, my yep. brother and I were both born here. Okay. Yep. Mum and dad came out in the sixties, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, so growing up was family wise was pretty small for us. You know, you go to your mates in primary school and high school. You would go to all the their sort of family gatherings when you'd have family and friend things. But mine was just like you know the five of us. Um, but then through that, we, we sort of adopted family and we made people our best friends, our family. And, you know, we've got uncles that I call uncle and aunties that they're not that, but you know what I mean? You just make your own family when you can. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they're not, mum and dad, yeah, great appreciators of music. They came out from the UK. So they bought with them, I guess for me around the house growing up, their love of, um, British pop rock, you know, mum and dad loved the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and, um, Dad was a bit of a, you know, they're both really good rock and roll swing dancers. They love Bill Haley and the Comets and all that sort of stuff. So. Awesome. Um, and then fortunately for me too, they really loved Louis Armstrong and mum's favourite singer is Frank Sinatra. And so they weren't like heavy musos at all. They were just lovers of the music that they dug. And I really dug it too, which mm. was cool. So they were kind of rock and roll and a little bit of jazz in there as well. Was there some particular jazz singers that you were kind of starting to catch on to thinking that I really, really dig this stuff? Yeah, in the early days, like when I was young, young, sort of primary school days young, it would have been, excuse me, it would have been, I remember a record of Dad's, he had this Louis Armstrong best of record, so I do remember that very vividly. Um, But I mean, at that age, as a a very young age, nah, I was, you know, what was I, kid of the 80s and the Mm. 90s or the 80s, I was kind of rocking out to Rick Astley and I really liked a bit of Rick Astley and Kyle Minogue and um, all those guys. And actually probably in those early days too, in the 80s and 90s, you know, I was heavily into Tina Arena and John Farnham and those Australian voices Mm. really, you know, I loved. Um, Ella Fitzgerald probably was introduced to me early days, like in sort of late late high school, uh, sorry, late primary school Mm. 
days with Mum loving Ella and Frank and Louie and mm. um, Bing Crosby and you know you know we'd hear, hear all those sorts of classics, um, bit of Dinah Washington. But it wasn't yeah it wasn't probably till high school when I started high school in 1990, uh, and my high school music teacher Anthony Gullick, uh, well, it was his first year. He was what would have been studying to be a teacher and. And then he got his first posting to school in 1990 at my high school, Kiriwee High School, when I started Year Seven. So it was like his first gig, my, my me starting high school, and um, and we clicked straight up. He, you know, I was in his Year Seven music class, and he was the one who really, you know, I think he saw a glimmer in me or a, or an he could see my expression of interest in things that he was playing, or I might say, oh yeah, Mum's got that record, or Dad's got that thing or and he'd be like oh how have you heard of how do you know so and so and I'd be like oh mum used to play there in the house or and then he'd go oh if you like that we'll check this out and so he was really instrumental in exposing me to a lot of yeah great music. Mm. Was it always singing did you ever try and start playing an instrument like piano or was it just always vocal? <laughs> I, did, I did try yeah <laughs> <laughs> I did try um yeah, I mean, you know, I did that thing. I think a lot of Aussie kids did. You know, in primary school, you start playing the recorder. Mm. You know, that was the instrument. Maybe it's now. I think I'm hearing it's ukuleles or something. They're moving to now for yeah. kids in primary school. But yeah. it was always the recorder for us. I played the recorder, and I bloody loved it. You know, in primary <laughs> school, speech nights recorder. You know, par- I went on to the you know, big, parents, you know, the bass recorder. You know, parents don't don't like it. Don't like recorders. <laughs> Hang on, I'm just gonna. Funny that. See, my my kids. Your kids play it. Yeah, yeah. My my oh, my mum bought my kids some recorders and. One day the recorders disappeared because, um, hang on a oh, sec, no. hang, hang on. I've actually, I've actually got them hidden in my, <laughs> hidden in my studio. My kids don't know this, and if they find them, no. we're in trouble, you know. <laughs> oh no, yeah. you rat bag! That's how much you hate them. I love it. Oh, but it was cool. It was cool to start with, but um, yeah, right. But you got to move on, mate. When you got to move to the saxophone. You do, yeah, totally. <laughs> My recorder is still in its original green little flat pack at oh, my right. place. With I the, would have seen it within the last few years. I've seen it there. You know, and the, like the top lip sort of folds over yeah, with the map yeah, thing. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, so we've got you right back. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was recorded for me. And then when I, like I said, I met, you know, started in 99 in high school. And I, um, with that with that awesome music teacher, which I, I am so appreciative. I, I actually really do I say it to a lot of people you know when I talk about music and life and all those things that I really don't know if I would I like to think I would be but I don't know if I would be doing what I do today if it wasn't for him I you know he had such a huge impact not only on me too other other schools other kids that went to the school um in my era and coming after me too have a lot to owe to Anthony for being such a great teacher if you know if you, I know you're a drummer you must mm. love Evan Minnell on the Sydney scene I, I don't know if I haven't heard that. Name. Oh, okay. I've yeah. got to introduce you to Evan. Okay, you cool. love Evan. Yep. And you'll love doing podcasts with Evan too. Okay, awesome. So Evan Minnell um, is a real, he's an awesome drummer and um, his wife, Zoe Houtman, is a bass player. Oh, right. He's Zoe's husband. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. Zoe cool. Yeah. Right. And Evan and I went to school together and we oh, were in right. the stage band together. Right. Okay. And um, yeah, he's, he's a killer player. And now we laugh. Like we did a gig at Foundry in Sydney, you know, a few months ago. And I laugh. I mean, I've played with Evan for many, you know, long time over the years. But even now, I think it's the older I get, the more sentimental I get. You know, on stage, I look over and I think, man, you know, that's Ev from our high school stage band days, and we'd go on school trips to Africa and play in a stage band and do all these things together. And now we're making music together and wow. doing this for a living. And we well, you know we owe it to Anthony, you know, and Dane Laborie, who I think you've done yeah, a yeah, yeah. 
podcast with. Yep. Dane went to Drury High too, and Anthony was his teacher. Right. Were you yeah. got, were you guys there at the same time, you and Dane? No, he's way he's way younger. Yeah, than he's me. young fella. Yeah, yeah. He is. He's a young fella. Yeah. No, I think um, yeah. What happened when I first started? Oh, I'll tell you the story too. When I first started working with James Morrison, was through the school. Cool. Um, and then after that, we kept going back to the school, and Dane was a student, so we'd actually play with Dane in the school band, and that's how I got to meet Dane. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, but um, I can't remember what your question started off. Oh, music. That's right. Mm. With the teacher and instruments. Yeah, I I was I was kind of like he would Anthony would tell you too. I was kind of like that keen eager kid um, in class who'd always sort of chuck my hand up to have a crack at anything, you know, like, oh, guys are going to learn the guitar between. I mean, oh, me, 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 you know, I'm going to play the piano. Who wants to, oh, me, oh, God, we're going to try the saxophone. Oh, I will. And, um, yeah, so I was always keen and eager. And I, I've had piano lessons. I, I, I really did love playing the piano. Um, I was pretty bad at it. I think I was pretty bad at most things. And then I, even in high school, I had a, I moved on, like we said, from the recorder. I went to the tennis saxophone. That was one of my first instruments and had the great, awesome Roger Manon from NZ. He was my tenor sax teacher. If you don't know Roger, you'd love Roger too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, so it wasn't, all, it was, it wasn't always singing. It was until it was singing it from the early on. So Anthony would say, you know, with those, do you want to play guitar? Do you want to play this? Or that? Do you want to sing? I've got these big, these charts. I think I'm going to make a big band, you know, put a stage band together. And do you want to sing? I'd be like, Oh, absolutely. I'll have a crack at that for sure. Um, and when I was younger too, I'd done, you know, the, the, the obligatory kind of dance classes and you mentioned about Tash before and Tash mm. and I, you know, for those who are, we were, we were good mates, you know, back in our early days, before we knew each other, we both went to the Johnny Young Talent School and, um, <laughs> you know, right? you do your singing, <laughs> your singing class, your hat class, your drama class and whatever else. And, and so I was always just, yeah, just really passionate about, I used to love tap dancing. I was really passionate about rhythm and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, for me, it was an eclectic mix of everything. I was so fortunate to be exposed to everything, I guess. And then when I was exposed or offered, you know, to sing, I remember that first rehearsal. It was like, okay, we're going to meet Monday afternoon, 3.30 in the school hall. And I've got the, and this is, I remember him saying to me, we've got this big band chart and it's, um, I'm pretty sure it was, I have to say, it was, I'm sure it was 1990. I should check when it was out because it was around, I don't know if my, my memory is serving correctly, it was around that time that, Harry Connick Jr. kind of hit the scene with his big band. Right. And he had this arrangement of It Had to Be You, which, you know, it's an old standard, but um, Harry had done it. And we had that exact arrangement. And that, along with another thing of Wonderful World and also Mac the Knife, I think, was in there too. Mm. And I remember that first rehearsal, and I thought, this is, this is whacked. I love this. Like, how's this sound, you know, with all the five saxes and the four bones and three trumpets and the rhythm section and you know, for me, that was my world for the next five years. I, I stayed singing in that band and I bloody loved it. I couldn't wait for Monday afternoon. That's cool, man. Um, yeah. So you mentioned James Morrison coming to the school. Yeah. Now, yeah. you've had a very long association with James Morrison, 20, yeah. 25 plus years. Yeah, and, 25. I reckon it's 25. We celebrated our... Yeah, this is my math. We were talking about that. 25, I think it was 25. Last year, we celebrated our 25th year of that night we first met. Yep. That's really yeah. cool. Now, can you tell the story of how you guys met? Yeah, absolutely. Um, oops, I'm chinking my glasses. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> I've only had a sip, I promise. Um, yeah, it, well, it was all about, you know, when I heart back to that thing about, 
my music teacher, Anthony Gullick, who was so so instrumental and, and so encouraging with everything. This, that, that ties in with this story of how it all happened for me. Um, it was, I was in about, I think year 11. So I was 15 or just turned 16 maybe. And uh, all through those years of working with the school band, Anthony would always come up with great ideas and, and, and great opportunities for us kids to go and do things. We'd go and play at the Manly Jazz Festival as the school band, or we'd go on tour through country New South Wales, or we'd do all these you know things. And then it came to this one time where he organised uh, a fundraiser night of a big concert in the Shire at the school hall. Uh, and he was going to invite the um, James Morrison and the James Morrison band to come and play with us kids, like as a workshop in the afternoon and then a concert in the evening for the general public. Mm. And we were just buzzing. We like, couldn't believe it, you know, my God. And at that stage, I, I did know um, who, well, all of us had sort of, you know, listened to James's music and we knew who he was and we were thoroughly impressed with this incredible multi-instrumentalist, you know. He's coming to our school, oh, my God. And so I remember visibly the day he walked in, you know, we were all up in the school hall on the stage and the doors kind of burst open on the side of the hall and James is walking in with all his horns tucked under every arm and he's got like a <laughs> you know, trumpet under here, a trombone under there and a saxophone around his, you know, over his back and he walked in and we were like, oh my gosh. And I remember him walking past on the floor while I was up on the stage and I looked down and he looked up and with that big smile, he's like, hi. And I'm like, oh my God, hi. <laughs> so excited. Oh my God. So excited. And, um, and, you know, for that, that we, were, we were about to sit in for like a two-hour rehearsal with him, you know, the school band. And um, my role in the school band wasn't saxophone. I didn't, have a, I, didn't, I didn't have a sax chair. I was the vocalist. So um, I sort of patiently wa- waited on the sideline in my seat until the band had done all their workshopping. And then towards the end, uh, Anthony said to James, oh, you know, we've got this young girl who sings with the band. Do you want to you have a listen? And um, knowing James now, I'm sure <laughs> he was... I'm sure he was, he's very generous with his time. I'm sure he was into it, but he's probably also looking at his watch going like, Jesus, mate, it's time for dinner. Come on, we've got to do the break. <laughs> Haven't we finished? And, um, but he was very gracious. And, and so I remember him looking over at me with Anthony and they kind of said, yeah, okay, what do you want to, what do you want to sing? What, what chart? And I was like, oh, oh, how about we do Max the Knife? We'll do Ed, Ed Wilson's, you know, Ed Wilson's great, who we'd all learnt of Ed Wilson in school, you know, great trombonist and a great arranger, Australian guy. And uh, we'll do Ed's, Ed's Mac Knife. So we, we started off and we did it and James was sort of, sort of staring at me all the way through it. And oh, I was a big scruff in high school. I never had my school uniform neat. I wore a suit and tie and I had my shirt never tucked in. I was always getting in trouble for not having my shirt tucked in. So I'm thinking, oh, shit, as I'm singing, I'm thinking, shit, he's looking at me. I haven't got my shirt tucked in. Like he's thinking I'm a scruff bag. And I felt like that stage I've got, I'm going through a bit of a goth stage. I've got purple, like long, ready purple hair and I'm a bit of a mess. <laughs> And um, I'm panicking and, and we, we get through Mac the Knife and then he just walks straight up to me and he says, who do you listen to? That was his first thing he said to me, you know, who do you listen to? And I was like a stunned mullet. I went, oh, oh, um, oh, you know, uh, Sarah, Ella, Billy, Carmen. I love a bit of Shirley Horn, um, Louis Armstrong, Frank. And I just sort of listed all these singers that I immersed myself with listening and tried to emulate, you know, every one of them. And he went, okay, all right. And then he walked off. <laughs> he just turned <laughs> on his heel and walked up and I was left down there. I went, okay, all right, okay, all right. <laughs> and um, we, went, we went and had that, um, that long dinner break that he was probably waiting for. So um, I, all of us kids went home and we got, you know, changed and ready, spruced up for the night concert. 
and James and Anthony went on a dinner break. And um, unbeknownst to me completely, at this stage, James had said to Anthony while they're having dinner, he's like, so that, that young girl that sang, if I get her up tonight in my set later on, will she be all right with that? And Anthony, knowing me so well, totally knows that I would have shat my pants. I would have been so nervous. He knows I would have freaked out. Anthony went, yep, yep, no, no, she'll be great. Yeah, yeah, no, no, do it, do it. Awesome. Knowing that I knew nothing about singing with a small group or anything like that. Like yeah. I knew my big band charts. I didn't know anything about small group combo. Anyway, so unbeknownst to me, I'm at home getting dressed, dressed up, come back to the concert. We do the first half of the show and uh, we have the interval. And then in the break, all of us school kids are sitting in the back of the hall and we're watching the James Morrison show. And this was like James Morrison, John Morrison on the drums, his brother, uh, Jonathan Swartz on the bass, uh, Tom Baker on the saxophone, American saxophonist who was just, no longer with us, but just an absolute legend. Mm. And Dave Coulton on the guitar. Mm. And they were playing and it was just like, man, you know, this is heavy, heavy, awesome stuff. And like halfway through the set, we're probably at the back of the hall and being a bit mischievous and everything. Anyway, so unbeknownst to me, he stops and he starts talking to the audience and he says, oh, we met these cool kids. Oh, I was after him. Puts his hand over the lights and he says, oh, I just want to see if, if uh, Emma's still out there in the audience. And that was it. You know, I was like the whole, you know, that moment when you think like the whole, Room's gone silent. There's like a spotlight on you. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just like froze. I like all my friends like nudging me, going, "He's talking about you. He's talking about you." I'm like, "What?" And then he said, "Oh yeah, so we'd like to, you know, we'd like to get see if Emma's still there to get her up and come up." And I just, I remember sort of standing up from my chair and I'm walking down the aisle of the hall and I'm thinking, "Holy, keep it clean, holy guacamole! What am I <laughs> gonna do here?" Shit, I don't know what to do. I, I, oh my god! And I'm walking. I'm, everything in my body was just frozen. And I'm walking up, and everyone's clapping, and you're looking at people in the. Or I'm thinking, oh shit! So we get up on the stage, and James <laughs> says, you know, oh cool, so it's all fun for him. You know, he's laughing. He says, yes, oh cool. You know, what do you want to do in front of like other eight hundred people or something? What do you want to do? And I went, oh, I don't know. What do you think? And he said, well, you know, we, what, what do you know? What do you want to do? And I said, oh, I, I just, I, I don't know. I was just, I lost it. And he said, well, what's the song that you do with your band? What do you, what do you know, what's something you do with, with, with the school band? And I said, oh, um, oh, God Bless a Child, God Bless a Child. It's written by Billy Holiday, a beautiful ballad. And he says, um, great, all right, yep, let's do that one. What key do you do it in? And again, <laughs> I froze. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I, what key, oh. And I was just so, you know, I just didn't know these things. I just, I didn't know these things were important then. And yep. I didn't, I just didn't know, you know. Yeah. So Dave Colton was lovely. He, 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 I leant over to Dave and Dave just saved me straight away. He's like, you know, played a little bit of the melody and he said, oh, if you're going to do it in B flat, we'll do it in B flat. Okay. Okay. Well, B flat. All right, cool. And um, they played a little intro and they're all looking at me, I'm sure, like waiting for me to come in. They're probably playing like a simple turnaround that I didn't know at the time was a turnaround. And, and, um, and so I came in and we got through the piece somehow. And, um, and then the audience clapped and it was all lovely. I was sweating bullets, you know, and then, <laughs> And then he finished. I thought that was it. It was over. And he said, oh, okay, cool. Right, right. How about a swinger? Let's do a swinger. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, there's another. He wants to do another one. And um, he, uh, he says, um, do you know this one? And I said, no, I don't really know that one. He said, oh, do you know this song? And I'm like, oh, no, I don't know that. And I'm thinking, oh, God, I can't keep saying no to anything. you know. So he says to me, sat down at the piano and he played a bit of um, Gershwin's. They can't take that away from me. And he said, you know that? And I had that fair of panic thinking I can't say no again I've got it I've kind of inside 
I'm thinking, oh, I know a bit of it. I know mum and dad have played that great Ella and Louie album around the house. I know, I know the melody. I know some of the lyrics. And so, and at this stage too, my beautiful parents were there in the hall and, and my mum, as many of my mates know my mum, you don't know my mum yet, Stevie, but she's sweet and lovely. And she, when I said before, they're not musical, but she, know, my mum knows everybody lyric to most jazz standards. You know, she just, she knows them all. So she's my go-to for things. So she looked up at me from about the fourth row. She's so shy. She looked up at me from the fourth row on stage and she's panicking just as much as me. She's like <laughs> mouthing to me, you don't, you don't know it. You don't know it. And I'm like, yeah, no, I don't know that. I know I don't know <laughs> And no word of a lie, she, she helped me through that by miming and sort of lip-syncing the words with me sort of a bit ahead of time and making the thing like the way you wear your hat, the way you sip your tea, the way you hold your knife, like doing all the actions, you know. <laughs> So, like as, as quietly and conspicuously as you could, she helped me through it, and, and yeah, we somehow got through it, and um, and that was the end of the night. And yeah, I I learnt so much in the space of what twenty minutes. Yeah, that I thought, and I was taking notes. I was like, shit, I've got to know about this stuff, you know, like keys and whatever, and 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 tempos and setting. I just didn't know anything about anything, you know, much. Mm. I was just having a ball. Mm. So, um, I went you know, home that night, a bit of a high. We had a chat with James after a bit of a party, you know, the school band party with James. And he asked me lots more questions through the party. And, and then we went home and it wasn't until the next week. And I was walking around at school the next day with a bit of a spring in my step thinking, <laughs> wow, did you see that shit that happened last night? That was amazing. You know? And um, and then it was like the next week I was coming home from school and I, I was home early, chucked my school bag on the kitchen floor and the phone rang. And it was Roy Ferrin, who at the time was James's sort of manager or booking agent. He's an American, but an Aussie as well, trombonist in the mm-hmm. scene. And, uh, you know, this voice, booming American voice, oh, hi, Emma, this is Roy Ferrin from James Morrison's office. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> and um, he said, you know, James met you last week and he's got a gig coming up your way uh, next week and he uh, he wants you to be the vocalist on the gig. He wants you to come. And I was like, what? trying to keep my cool and he says so it's it's at this place it's at this hall and uh this is the theater and it's, it's you know whatever be there at 4 30 have a couple of songs up your sleeve maybe think about that and and uh, we're going to pay you you know we're going to pay you 150 dollars or whatever it was at the time and i was like that is all the money in the world yeah, yeah, oh my yeah, god yeah you got to pay me for this i don't know what i'm doing like this is crazy <laughs> and, uh, and that was it so i turned up rocked up for the gig next week and i was so nervous and so scared and james and john and at that stage, I think that gig was Natalie Morris and his wife on the bass. And and uh, it was just so casual and no one really cared much and was backstage and I was sort of really nervous and worried about what I'm going to do. And everyone kind of kept it. James and John were sitting there looking through flying magazines or boating and car mags and, you know, not a care in the world. And I was mm. like, oh, so should, what, what should we talk about? What we're gonna, what we're going to sing? Or, no, no, we'll get to that. It was <laughs> just so casual. <laughs> and, uh, and that was it. Then at that night, from that night, it sort of lasted. Yeah, it lasted 25 years. Wow. Nuts. That's awesome. Crazy. So um, I kind of learnt what I what I do on the road, you know, pretty much. Yeah. So after that first gig, how long, like after that, was mm-hmm. he saying, well, actually I want you in, in the band now and I've got, the, I've got this lined up and this and. Yeah, I think from memory, it kind of just flowed. Like mm. I reckon there must have been, you'd have to ask him, he might recall it better than me because I was just a school kid, like hyped up and freaking out and nervous and had so much else going on. He was, you know, I, I think for him maybe, you know, and we've chatted obviously over the years, I think what he heard and what he says he heard back then was potential. 
Um, okay. You know, I think he said he liked my groove and he liked the, the way I place things and, and stuff like that and my time feel. And um, I think it was probably a bit of a probation period, maybe. Okay. I don't know. He was thinking that. He might have put me on a few. But, I mean, having said that, within months, I really do recall, it was certainly within the first year, the first half of, you know, maybe first six months, we were at the Opera House wow. recording an album live at the Opera House. Wow. I'm pretty sure Don Burroughs was on that too. And yep. and we were on tour with the big band. We, I remember it must have been 90, that was in 94. I reckon it was in 1994 we went on a big band tour. You know, and in that big band, it was like Ed Wilson was in the big band. I was right. freaking out. I was like, this is the guy with, you know, the trombone player. That was that arranger of Mac the Knife. He's in the yeah. band. What? So I reckon it was it was pretty soon. Like it, And then it all just flowed for me. It just felt like it just kept getting more and more. Yeah, bigger and bigger, and and then at high school the next year I was on tour with the with the band as well all through my HSC, and mm. so I think there was probably a probational period, but for me it felt like a lot. I was always asking the principal for time off, and mm. he was such a huge fan of James Morrison, it was great. Uh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> you need time off for that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, James, it, yeah. Tell, tell him I said, "Oh, can you get him to sign this?" <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Can he sign this CD? Yeah. yeah, that's right. As long as you do your math homework, you're yeah, all that, right. that's it. Yeah. So how, how yeah. did you how did you go managing that with the HSC? You just said that you would yeah of, was that difficult having to manage um, that or were you thinking I don't think so Not were you thinking at that time you're gonna you wanted to be a professional singer and stuff this this well, uh, yeah. <laughs> this well, no, thing? I, probably, I don't know what I was thinking yeah I mean at that stage too when that happened you know when it happened in the, in the 11 I didn't actually know that you could be a professional singer right? right like I said I grew up with all that music and all those people I was listening to and I was influenced by and you know, you'd see your Tina Arenas. And I remember going, like, one of the big things for me was going to see Jesus Christ Superstar with John Farnham and Kate Sobrano. Uh, right. And yep. that was, that was like, huge for me. So I'd go and see all these concerts and I'd see people doing this, but it didn't really click to me that I could be that mm. or it would be an option. And I think maybe my parents never really thought that. My mum always thought that I would go to business school and, you know, do a degree on something or other, or my dad thought I might be in travel because he was in travel. Like I, ne- they never really thought that music was going to be until until I met James. Obviously, that was like mm. a new whole new world. Mm. But I, um, yeah, I it wasn't difficult for me, and I loved high school too. I've got to admit, I think it was because of that musical and and drama. I loved theatre. I loved acting in school as well. So I think for me, school I loved the HSC. It was hard, sure, it was difficult, but I was doing drama, music, Japanese, which I loved, maths and English, stuff like that. So, and I was in such a great pocket. I loved all the guys that I was at school with. The music room was my haven at lunchtime and recess and all that stuff. So I, I didn't have a hard time through it. I, and I remember, I mean, I probably didn't do particularly well in my HSC, but I didn't really care, you know. Mm. I didn't mind. Performance was okay in music. Drama was good. I got into certain, what do you call, offstage performance things from your HSC performances, which I loved. And sort of then I was starting to think, Oh yeah, this creative thing, this thing is this is pretty cool. And then of course, working with James, and you're getting paid, and you're being a singer. It was like that slow, slow transition into this is my job. I had other jobs at the time, and I was working in a clothes store as a teenager, okay. and I working as a waitress somewhere else. But all those jobs sort of fell by the wayside, and not through any malice, but people would say, "Oh, look, you're asking for too much time off. You know, you've got to go away right. with James Morrison right. for that weekend and that weekend. We can't keep you on. You know, so." I kept losing my jobs that way and then it was sort of like something quick going, okay, this is it. This is full time. I'm going to be doing this. So in the early days I'd, I'd meet a lot of other young musicians who were going to the conservatorium. I never really got the chance to go because I'd 
I could have, but it was like me saying no to an opportunity with James to go and study at the con right. to maybe get a job one day that would be the one that I'm offering, being offered right now. You know, that's yeah, an incredible you. opportunity. Yeah, yep. yeah, so I'd go to the conservatory and I'd hang out with all the guys and I'd meet people like Phil Stack, you know, he's the same age as me, and we'd put bands together and we'd go and do gigs at Soup Plus and on the side of things with James. And, yeah, I just sort of started slowly building, yeah, music as your main focus. And then eventually as the years go on, you, you get – jingle and session work and stuff like that and you somehow bizarrely end up being the voice of Dorothy the Dinosaur for a while you know like things like that happened to me it was just bizarre wow yeah is that right (laughs) and I don't think many people know that it's not something that's on my bio but yeah (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) yeah. you've got kids you've got young if you've got young kids I do yeah yeah we yeah Victor Wiggles my kids got into Wiggles when I think it's pretty much the current lineup now Okay. Anthony. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, Emma, Emma. Emma, Lockie, yeah. Simon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Jeff was there. Jeff, yeah. Uh, they all, all, all the original guys were still there. Oh, sorry. I think okay. Gre- I think Greg had, he, he had left at that stage. Oh, he'd have left, yep. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, you would have had Sam around then. Sam, that, that's, good the one. One, Sam. that's the one. Yeah, cool. I yeah. mean, yeah, stuff like that. I, it was a weird thing. I'd be in those early days of, you know, you start working with James Morrison and it opens up this world of, of, you know, opportunity for you. It's incredible. And I still feel, and I did feel, and I felt for a very long time, you know, very unworthy of having the position that I had. It was like, cause I really didn't know. I hadn't studied hard. I didn't know what it was like to be a lead vocalist or, you know, I'd missed the intros. I'd missed the turnaround that the guys are playing. You know, I couldn't hear a simple 365 or something like that. And I just wasn't on. And I, for a long time, I mean, I, whatever I learned and whatever I messed up, I tried to find out, like, you know, I'm saying, throwing it back to like learning a key yep. or key. I just made that, that was like my mission. I was like, I've got to find out what key I sing every song and I want to be prepared and I don't want to yep. mess anyone up. I want everyone to be cool, you know, like. And so I'd make notes along the way and I'd study and I'd try as hard as I could to learn. And that felt for me like a long process, you know. I loved every minute of it, but I always felt really unworthy of a lot of things. But so I'd, 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 you'd get offered things from people and you'd meet people and you'd think, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I could do that. I, you know, maybe mm. you think I'm a bit better than I am or I don't know. Mm. Um, and so it was. I used to go on the Burt Newton show back in those days. You know, they'd ask you to come on down in Melbourne they'd fly you down and you'd sing a song with well, I met wonderful John Foreman you know yep. piano and I loved John was great he was great we'd do some things there and and one of those shows the Wiggles were starting out it must have been they're around 20 25 years too I reckon yep. since they started yep. so they were there Anthony was there with all of them and um we were on the same show and I remember being in the makeup chair or something and Anthony kind of going to me oh you know who are you and what do you do and we just heard your sound check and this sounds cool. You're a jazz singer. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know. And I didn't really know who they were that much at that stage. And um, and Anthony said to me, so do you have like a high kind of soprano, high-pitched kind of kind of voice? And I went, no, I don't think so. Not really. No, I'm kind of like a more of a low soprano, like an alto contralto, you know. And he, looked, he went, oh, all right, well, it doesn't matter. Anyway, he said, do you want to come over and do a session um, in a couple of weeks for us? We've got this character that we, blah, 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 we do. and I was like, oh, okay, no, I'll give it a crack, you know, I'll have a go at that. <laughs> and uh, went to the studio and then sure enough, there's script in front of me and then songs and it's all that kind of like high placement of hello, hello yeah. there, hey, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dorothy the Dinosaur. And, and 
I did it and it was great fun. I loved it. And it was incorporating acting, you know, which I had a love of from a very young age yeah. and never never got that opportunity to go to NIDA. I auditioned and tried, but, you yeah. know, I was working for James at the time and mm-hmm. it never turned out. And So it was kind of like a really fun project. And, and they still use all that stuff I did with them years ago. You hear me on the telly every now and again on the morning, <laughs> they'll, you know, copy and paste the buckle or whatever. And So, yeah, that came along, along quite a few years friendship and I'm still great mates with all the guys now and, Bizarre. That's cool. Who would have thought? That's cool. What about cover bands? Did you, um, if when there was a break from James or something like that, did you ever, yeah, find yourself in a like a pop rock cover band? No, no, no. I never, no, <laughs> not from, not from like not wanting to or anything. Yeah. But I guess it never, never really came about. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I said to you before, hanging out with the guys that I hung out, we'd put we'd put sort of jazz combos together and we'd do. We do stuff. I mean, I'd love it. I loved as the older I got through that high school, through the high school years ending, and then going into working with James. And the more people that you'd meet, mm. and the more musicians you'd meet, I was exposed to more Australian music, and you know, starting to love that. I'd go to festivals and I'd hear bands like Dig, you know, with Cameron Undy at the at the helm, who's a great mate of mine now, and mm. and a band called Banana, which was another really Aussie, awesome Aussie vocalist called Lily Dior, fronted with Pete Zuckerfax on guitar and. And um, they were kind of like funk groove bands, and I loved it. I loved it all, but I never thought that I was, you know, suited to it or, you know, sound. I never really had the opportunity, I guess, to do it. So I was just more focused on on swinging out with people like, you know, Phil Stack and Ben Roston and Steve Payton was one of the first trios that we formed and we play at Soup Plus. And just that was that kind of ground to – for while you're working with James, like I said, I didn't really know much, you know, mm. in the early days. It was groundwork for me to hang with these guys and make music and we'd play standards. So I was kind of learning the repertoire mm. and having little clubs around Sydney to sort of, you know, practice it out at. I, you know, met some other great guys, Darren Archer, keyboard player, Matt Keegan, Dave Goodman on the drums. And we'd, we'd go, we'd form bands and, and we'd do sort of, you know, we'd cover all the sort of modern jazz that we were hearing that we loved at the time and we'd sort of transcribe stuff and we'd play gigs in cafes in King's Cross and Dave Goodman, I remember him asking me, do you know Dave Goodman? Yeah, drummer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, fab, he's a good mate too. I remember he, for his recital at the con, he asked me to do um, some transcription of a, of a standard that Betty Carter had done and for me that was like Betty Carter's this, you know, heavyweight, bop, jazz, goddess, you know, and I felt so out of my depth, but I loved it. I loved, you know, giving it a crack. So for me, it was always, yeah, I loved listening to it, loved listening to groove and funk and, and pop and rock. It was always all around me. But when it came to singing, I was kind of always, yeah, doing swinging groovy stuff. Speaking of Dave hmm. Goodman, I remember I, oh, yeah. something, I just tickled a memory then. Yeah, I trying love that. Th- trying to think how many years ago it would have been. My youngest daughter would have still been, she was still in the pram, so that would have been, Maybe five or six years ago, five years ago, I, I reckon. Okay. Yeah. You played at. Um, Me. Yep. Yep. Oh. You you played at a, a Christmas Christmas gig um, uh-huh. in Hyde Park. Oh, and beautiful! Yeah. Dave was playing drums. Oh, yeah. nice! And it's funny you mentioned the Wiggles before because I think before or after you played. Greg Page had a Greg, little thing. He had a show. Ha- yeah, and I hi- do and, remember. And High Five were, were on that as well. And because and, we, we'd yeah, gone right. and just, the kids wanted to see High Five live. 
And when we when we got you there, mean that, you mean they weren't you weren't they weren't coming here off? Oh, of course, of course, of course, I'm totally. Kidding. Of course, I'm not. You're going to go see yeah, him. Right. Go see Emma so, Pask, um band first, and then we'll see. Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll, well, we'll see the kids show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just remember remember seeing your because when we first got there, you were you were playing, and and I. Oh just, man, that's yeah. really funny. Yeah, um, just on the high yeah, five definitely. high five thing, the kids wanted to see high oh, yeah. five, but we got there, and that had a complete lineup change. So, oh, so that was it. Yes. We watched one or two songs and then we left. We, we, were, mort- oh, no. <laughs> we, were, we were mortified. <laughs> oh, man. Was it, they didn't have Nathan Foley in there. No, they he was, Nathan no, Foley. He was long, left. no, he was long gone. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was the energy of that group, let's yeah, be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when did Love you it. record your first solo album? How, how far into? Uh, it was pretty soon. Okay. I reckon it was around... I reckon it, well, not pretty, pretty soon. Uh, the first recording I did was that live at the Opera House, but that was just a live gig. Mm. Um, it was probably around 2000, I think, so maybe five years into it, mm-hmm. I think, from memory. It might have been 98, 2000. I'm a bit, I'm a bit crap at remembering dates. Um, it was, and it, it was, again, it was um, James had sort of started a record company at, at, back in the day, mm. and he um, wanted to do a big band record with strings, big, big band album with strings. So I was completely out of my depth and, mm. and, um, and in, in loved what, it. In, like what, I had, in what way? What do you mean? Well, I'd never recorded. I'd never really done uh, – well, yeah, I'd never recorded. I didn't really know the ins and outs of recording. Maybe in those days I might have – I don't even know if I was doing sessions in those first few years. Mm-hmm. Like I said, with that stuff, you'd get jingles and stuff, but that was sort of further down the track, I think. It was, and, and certainly nothing of mine, like I'd never recorded my own album. It was a lot of pressure too, and it was heavyweight lineup, all these, you know, heavy caps that were so great. And um, I think it's where I first met, I want to say it's where I first met Kevin Hunt, who's now my partner in crime. You know, I feel like it was the first time Kevin and I really met. It was, he was playing piano on the album, and yeah, it was big band and strings. Judy Bailey, who's an uh, incredible, incredible musician, um, she arranged some of the strings for us. And, uh, yeah, I, I was overwhelmed. I, I loved it. I completely loved it. But I was overwhelmed and I felt I had a lot of pressure on, um, you know, getting it right, so to speak, you know, with not really knowing what you're doing. And right. also, too, I think for me, if I look back, like I said to you before, like the older I get, the more I reminisce and sentimental I get. I think I'm way more comfortable with, obviously, with me and who I am now. But in those early days, because I, because it was nothing that something that I didn't really – go for as in I didn't strive to be this singer or this thing or that's what I knew I wanted to be and do I kind of was offered this incredible opportunity and I took it uh, and I felt like I said to you I felt like I was learning all the way I felt um a lot of pressure because you suddenly and I don't know I, I hope I don't know what people are going to think when they listen to it but it's certainly not a woe is me story I'm not not meaning for sympathy or anything but I'm just trying to express how I felt yep um I felt because of the weight of how, you know, of, of the weight that brings when James Morrison, someone who is such an incredibly talented musician, you know, puts his arm out and says, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Our Lady of Song, Emma Pask. That sense of, oh, she must be amazing or right. she must, you know. Right. And I'm like, I'm just start like in the early days, just starting out. I, and, I, and I felt like I had this sort of, yeah, I think maybe I, I'd probably maybe a bit of fake it till you make it in the early days too. I was insecure. 
I was worried and it was through a lack of knowledge, you know, mm. really. Mm. Um, I probably felt threatened at times and, and maybe fudged thinking that I knew something if I didn't just because maybe people thought I should, you know, that kind of feeling. I don't yeah. know if anyone's going like, oh, yeah, but it's just a weird, no, I'm sure only happened to me moment. Sure, but sure they are. I don't know. That mm. I, yeah, so I, I, I um, yeah, so the recording an album for me was, again, another one of that moments like overwhelming. This is huge. I don't really know if I know what I'm doing here, but I don't know. He wants me to do it. He's asked me. I've got incredible, I'll, I'll give it a crack. You know, I'll, I'll do my best and, and see if it's good enough. Um, so that was my first experience. And, yeah, and then the second album we did after that, a few years after that, was a small group quartet thing. And I probably started feeling, you know, as the years went on, I felt a bit more comfortable and I'd learnt more things and I, you know, I had more musicality underneath, under my belt, so to speak. And, yeah, so, but I still, I don't think I felt anywhere near as centred and settled um, vocally as I do now. Yep. Like I feel pretty, you know, I'm 42 and I've done a lot in 25 years. Yep. A lot of that and still currently is learning, but I feel like I'm in a place vocally where I know my instrument pretty well now mm. and I know what I'm doing. Um, yeah, so it, it took a long time to get there, though. It really did. It took a long time. That, that's, and I still... Yeah, yeah, sorry. Oh, sorry. Ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that, that second, second album, was that, um, was that just you out on your own with your band at that stage? Or no, that was still, 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 off the that back was still of, James. James, yep. Yep. Yeah, it was still another one under his label called This Madness Called Love. So it was James and we had beautiful Dave Blenkhorn on the drums. I'd, I'd met a new drummer, like we were saying, putting those bands together and, and working with young guys. Craig Simon was a drummer on the scene um, who I met and started playing with him and, and Phil Stack. And so I'd say to to James, you know, I've got come and hear me play with Craig Simon and I really want to put Craig on this album. I think you'd love Craig. And so James, I remember James came to the wine bank in those days and heard me play um, with the guys and uh, yeah and so Craig joined James's band after that too after James heard oh, cool. Craig on the drums he joined the band and the James Morrison band over the 25 years has had such a had such a morphing of people I met so many different people and Phil Phil joined the band as well on the bass yep. for many years and and so yeah I met a lot of people that way but it wasn't until uh, I released an album of mine um, called Some Other Spring which I feel was about 2010 that was my first baby that I self-funded and self-produced and did record it at Morrison Studios. James has had the great studio, which I hired. Yep. Um, and he actually played piano on half of it. And I had Kevin Hunt on the other half. And I had sort of had two bands. It was like James's band mm-hmm. that we do all our repertoire with. And then my band, which was Kevin um, and Tim Firth on the drums. Yep. Andrew Dickerson um, as well on that, on that album. So, yeah, it was kind of like the melding of two bands and, and that was my first project. And I really, I loved doing that. It was really exciting. That's cool. Now, yeah, much better place. Yeah, that's cool. Um, you did an interview in 2014 talking mm-hmm. a little bit about The Voice because you went to, well, you were, you were asked to um, join The Voice season two. Well, yeah, after audition. Yeah, uh, after yeah audition. Audition, audition. Sorry. So you were sort of headhunted. Hey, we want you to come yeah. audition Scouted. for the voice. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. It just made me think, you know, what why you wanted to do that, and and I ended up finding a quote that you oh, said in an, in an interview. I can't <laughs> exactly remember where it was, but I might put the I'll find oh. that and put that in the show notes. Um, yep. So you said here for me entering the voice 
was a way for me to create longevity and expose myself in a way. Um, and then you said you're definitely comfortable with the experience and it put you back on your toes again. Mm. Right. So what do you mean by that, put you back on your toes again? Did, did you feel like you were getting a little bit too comfortable? Things were a little yeah, bit Yeah, I mean, of, yeah, probably, probably. Yeah. Um, maybe not comfortable. Yep. Like not comfortable, but maybe just, yeah, I mean, you know, by that stage, 2013, by that stage I'd been with James for about, what, 19 or 20 years or yeah. something, or maybe, can't remember, was it about, yeah, where's my math again? Um, it had been a long time, a long career with him. And when the first season came out too, I must admit, you know, that first season came out and I was on the road, you know, with the band that time and I was mm. thinking, gosh, I was, God, how mortifying. I could never, I'd be petrified of doing something like that. Right. How scary. I remember seeing it thinking, my God, you're putting yourself on the line and, and singing and to four people with their backs turned to you and hoping that someone might like you and press a button. Oh my God, mortifying. I'd die. <laughs> yeah. I'd never do that. I couldn't do it. And so it was certainly nothing, uh, certainly something I wasn't thinking of then. But then, like you said, yeah, you get, you know, a couple of people that you know in the industry were working as producers at the time and and they, you know, it's well known, they, they ask people, they don't they don't give you any special treatment whatsoever but they just say to you hey do you want to audition and you go through the same channels as everyone else you're on an equal playing field yep, yep. and I think that's what I dug yep I think that's what I thought oh okay you know I knew nothing about it how it worked I didn't know it was you know this sort of no one really knew about this reality tv show what it was going to be like no one knew the inside of it so you're on a you know an even playing field with everyone else and that was really appealing to me uh and so I thought well, yeah, and then I, I mean, I thought to myself too. I wonder. I had that, that initial panic of hopefully they'll want me to represent my genre because you know you asked me before. I was in cover bands. No, I've never really yep. done that stuff. Um, love it. I'm a lover of all sorts of music, and certainly know my pop music, but I've never sung it. You know, I've sure. professionally. Anyway, yeah. So I, I just thought, and then I, then the other thing that came into my mind was. You know, I was saying I never thought I'd do it. And then I thought, well, I have had these incredible 20 years with James, like 20 years, it's a long time. Mm. If I had my way, I mentioned to you before about change, I'm not great with change. Mm. I could quite happily and complacently be in this band and do my thing with him until I'm 80. Mm -hmm. You know, I reckon, and they say, you know, as a, as a jazz singer, you don't often hit your peak until you're 60 or 70, you know, and had a couple of marriages and all those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully that's not the case. But, um, I um I could easily do this, or also too, you know, I'm traveling around the world with James. I've had I've had such an incredible experience with him. You know, so many doors have been opened, and I've we've been to so many different places, and we've played some incredible gigs, and met some you know wonderful people. And I just how do I how do I get longevity out of this? How do I see another twenty years of doing what I do, whether it be with James, and that's his choice. You know what I mean? Like I I don't have control over that. If he wants to work with me. I'm lucky and I'm I'm appreciative. If he decides not to, then I'm done. Yep. You know, not done, but you know what I mean. Then gotcha. I've got a. This is this is not the way it should be. I shouldn't rely on that. I need to actually be a big girl. You know, pull up my big girl knickers here and go. Actually, you've got to look after yourself. You've got to think ahead and and think about this stuff. You know. Yep. So I thought, well, I'd love to reach a bigger audience as well. You know, like singing on a show like that. Mm. It could be really cool. And and also I could introduce jazz you know, the music that I do and the way I sing and what I what I love to do and, and maybe more people might dig it, you know, and it doesn't have to always be modern day pop. This is a pop music that I do from back in the, you know, twenties, thirties, forties or whatever. Yeah. Um 
yeah, and there's certainly a market out there's certainly an audience. People love it, you know, so they do come to gigs. So, yeah, it'd be, good, it'd be good to do. I'd like to get into people's living rooms and show them what I've got to offer. And if they like it, then that's cool. That might give me some more longevity of that, you know, I'd be able to do what I yeah. do and love so much for longer. So, mm. yeah, I mean, also, <laughs> the, other, the other half of my mind was going, you know, shit, no one might turn around and this could be, you know, <laughs> yeah. the end of my career. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> big risk, you know, like, so yeah. I thought, oh, well, why not? I'll give it a crack. We'll do it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. You, yeah. You ended up uh, on Ricky's team. I did. First of all, Joel Madden. Yep. Joel yep. Madden picked me and then, yeah, Ricky Martin stole me. Isn't that hilarious? Stole me to his team. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you started off in Joel Madden's team. I did, yep. Joel you, Madden turned his chair, yep. pressed his button probably un, unwillingly. <laughs> he did. Oh, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> no, I, yeah, that's yeah. pretty harsh. No, yeah. that's very harsh. It's terrible of me to say that. He he turned it, yeah, he did. He was very lovely. Yeah, awesome. And then. Um, but it was in the final seconds. It was like what we said. Right. Like it was like the literally the final seconds of me getting to the end of Blue Skies, you know, standard. Right. And I was remember standing there looking out to the sea of people and I'm singing, you know, blue skies, smiling at me. And I'm thinking in the pit of my stomach, oh, right, okay, right, this is it. It's yep. all over. What have I done? Yes, done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, this is cool. Yep, yeah, no worries. It's, yeah. it's done now. Yeah. And then within that last second, he presses button and the relief, I was like, oh, validated. Isn't that horrendous? <laughs> horrendous. <laughs> Such a horrendous feeling. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, yeah. validated. Through the course of the show, um, the format had it where – um, Ricky ended up picking you up on his saving team, me, saving you. Yeah, right. he saved me. Right. <laughs> now let's talk a little bit about the experience with with Ricky. Um, yeah, how, cool. how, how that was. Yep, he was a lovely guy. Mm. He was sweet. I think. Um, I don't know what it's like now because this was again early days, second season. You know, nowadays, uh, yeah, I couldn't tell you, but in the early days, we didn't, you didn't get a lot of time to spend with the coaches. You know, mm-hmm. it was a TV show. You didn't have a lot of one-on-one time. And especially I only got sort of halfway through, so I didn't have mm-hmm. a lot of time with him. But the time I did spend with him, he was really sweet. And I didn't really grasp the fact of what a mega star, you know what I mean? If you're talking about oh, right. like a Latin American pop star, he's huge. Mm-hmm. So considering how, how in demand he is for all sorts of things in his life. He did have a, a lot of time to be genuine and offer you, you know, encouraging words and mm. things like that. He was, he was really sweet. And his team were great. My husband was my fiancé back then. He's South American from Uruguay. Mm-hmm. And so all his, all his team was South American. And so Rod, my husband Rod, was hanging out with all the guys and, you know, having that good hang and they loved him and he mm. loved them. And so it was it was good fun. And, and, um, and working with Ricky, it was great. Yeah, he put... He, and with that thing when you said earlier about my quote about maybe putting pushing putting me on my toes, keeping yep. me on my toes, yep. it was it was a live TV gig. You know, it got to the stage where it went to live TV, and and for me, I'd never I'd never sung, um, I'd certainly never sung Mashkinada, this this George Ben um, tune mm. that I sang it was made famous by Sergio Mendes. Ricky had asked me to do that in English and Portuguese, and for me that was such a huge challenge, mm. which I loved. I, look back at it now, I'm sure my pronunciation is, you know, not great, but I um I love the challenge and that, that feeling of that in that pity of stomach, that's what I was after. I was after that feeling of 
the music starting and the counting in and the, the boys in the band were mates of mine. You know, we'd all worked together over the years. But regardless of all that and that comfort factor, you're still on live TV. You're about to strut down a sort of catwalk and sing sing something in a foreign language that you would not had that much time to practice or rehearse or learn. So I kind of, I, I, it was like a, what do you call it? Like a double-edged sword. I loved it, but I hated it. It was yep. like that feeling of yep. excitement and nerves and pressure. And I loved all that. And so, yeah, I finished, finished singing that song and, and yeah, Ricky, Ricky did that crazy thing where he, he professed to the world, but after I'd sing it, sung this Brazilian tune that he wanted me to record with him and I was on his next album, he was happening to, he was going to make a Brazilian record. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I kind of lost it on live TV again. He just made this offer. He said, I, I want you on my next album. And I was like, what? And the crowd went crazy. And I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, this is the, this is what I went in for. This is what I said. Yes. What an incredible opportunity. I've put myself on the line and thought, you know, it could go either way, but now I'm sitting here and, and this is another challenge in my life. How cool, like Ricky Martin, this Latin god, when I've earned a lot of brownie points with the in-laws yeah, yeah. in South America. <laughs> yeah. They went mental. They yeah. couldn't believe, like awesome. my sister-in-law, both of my sister-in-law in Uruguay, they could not comprehend that we were going to Ricky Martin's house for dinner. Like they just we were sending pics <laughs> and they were like, what is life? Because he's such a huge star over there. You know, right. I mean, worldwide, but in South America especially, like, these guys grew up on him. They just loved him. So... You know, and then then when I said when they'd see the show, or Rod would call him and say, "Oh my God, Ricky's just asked Emma to record with him. She's going to be on his album." You know, I was beside myself. I thought, "Wow, this is why I said yes. I, this, you know, opportunities. Wow, how incredible!" He's a famous pop star. I'm a jazz singer from Sydney. This is great. Talking about exposure and maybe getting longevity out of a career. I was thinking, "Wow, next level. This, where could this go? How right. much fun!" Right. And um. Yes, Stevie, it's been about, what did we say, seven years, it's still wait, two weeks, Still wait for that call? Since he asked, yeah, I haven't quite oh, called man. yet. <laughs> right, I so, know. oh, man, so. I know. I was quite disappointed. I was very let down. Yeah, so so, how did that go about? Were you, did you get any contact Look, from them at all his, saying, oh, right. I did, yeah, it wasn't his fault. It wasn't okay. his fault, personally, you know, now knowing the world of, of, of recording industries and record companies, you know, now knowing it more than I did then, I get it. It wasn't his fault, you know, like, man, I was so disappointed. It, it, it was a two, about two years later that I got confirmation that it wasn't happening. I was doing that thing, you know, I'd do that thing of like the opportunity had happened and it said it was going to be finished, we'd go off air, the cameras would stop and Ricky would be like, this is going to be so exciting and we'd go over to his place for dinner. Like we said, he was down in Bondi down the road from us and have us over dinner and he'd talk about the project and, I'd been booted off the show by now, but he'd say like, this is, he'd play me samples of a track, a Brazilian band that he loved, that he wanted to do it in this vein. And I was like, wow, this is going to be so cool. I can't believe it. And, um, and so then he left the country, the show finished. He went uh, back overseas and I'd keep in touch with his team who were really lovely. And I, every now and again, I didn't want to seem like a stalker. (laughs) Every now and again, (laughs) I'd drop an email going like, you know, put my hand up and go, hi hi guys. um, Just remember that, you know, if you, if you want to do that thing, like I'm here. Hey, <laughs> just kind of like trying to jolt their memory. And um, I sort of kept in touch every few months and it'd be like, yep, yep, cool. We, we'll get to you. And, and, uh, and in that time, um, yeah, I just, yeah, I just didn't know what was going to happen. I, I wasn't quite sure. And uh, it was a couple of years down the track. I'd been signed by that stage after mm-hmm. Woods with Universal. And, and by, I heard sort of two, days down the, two years down the track that Sony, his record company at the time, which was a rival of mine that I'd been signed to, 
had decided not to go ahead with the Brazilian project. So the whole album wasn't going to be made. Uh. And I was devastated. But then like a few months later, he released a Spanish record and I was like, oh, dude, I could, maybe, I could, maybe I could have done something on that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I thought, oh, come on. But, um, record yeah, company you know, I politics. Uh, record, com- record company politics. It could have been, you know. I, I certainly didn't think that I would be signed from going on that show. I certainly didn't think I would get a record. But, yeah, maybe, I don't know, uh, I don't know, Sony Universal, if they had a satchel, whether it was really Sony just didn't want to do the album. So it sort of fell by the wayside. I was so disappointed, though, man. I was just disappointed that, you know, because it was, seemed like it would be such a cool project and such an incredible opportunity. And Yeah. Yeah, I really mo- I moped for a bit longer than I should have on that one. Right. <laughs> Man, that's, that's killer. Mm. All right, let's talk about you signing with Universal then. So how far after the show um, did you get signed to Universal? Yep, and and then what sort of what sort of happened from that? Did you do some recordings? Yeah, cool. Just, yep. I did, yeah, I did. So the show, that all happened with Ricky and I was on a big high and mm. thinking that was all going to be cool. And, and then when the show, the show still had a quite a long way to run, like half of it left it got to the final and then after it finished going to air you still had to wait I think three months until all those contracts that you signed originally were sort of null and void so they'd, they'd keep the option of whether you'd take a management contract or a recording contract and I I just sort of happily got along with life I, mean, I should say I should say a positive too that came out of it you know I was down in the dumps about about um Ricky and the project but one really great thing that he did do for me um that night that I did get booted off mm. He, you know, the album we were just talking about previously, that um, album that I self-funded and yep. self-produced myself yep. at some other spring with all those boys. Yep. Um, the night I got booted off, he, he, I don't know if he had a copy of it or if he just said, Ricky said something like, go and support this artist, this independent artist. She's got this album, you know, go and go and support this girl. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool, man. You know, it was great that he did that. And literally overnight, that record that I did in 2010 in two th- and I've been trying to sell it for three years, you know, trying to recoup the money that you've invested, worked so hard to invest in making it. Mm. Pretty much overnight, I, I was able to recoup. Like the record sales wow. went through the roof. That's awesome. Yeah, all of Australia who watched that show, they bloody bought it, you know. It was so cool. I was overwhelmed again. I was so flattered and I was so appreciative. Like it, it, yeah, it sold, it, it paid itself off, which was awesome. So I got a huge kick out of that and that was really really down to him that's very cool promoing me and yeah, yeah. yeah so that was cool and so anyway yeah, I did that album then it was yeah I had to wait till the show had finished and then I thought to myself oh you know Universal aren't gonna sign me didn't even think twice about it you know they're gonna sign all the, the pop acts you know but maybe now I'm now I'm actually thinking about it it was probably the fact <laughs> this sounds like I'm being really down on myself I should have more confidence in myself um maybe the fact that Ricky had offered me that deal that Universal did choose to option me only with other, maybe a handful, less than a handful of other artists, they optioned me to put me on their books. And I was like, you want to sign me? Oh my gosh, really? We're going to make like jazz records. This is, this is cool. Okay. This could be great. So yeah, that's the signing happened. We met, we I had a great A&R guy, a really nice guy, Peter Carpen, who actually was um, the A&R guy on uh, and worked on Tina Arena's album. Is it in deep? One of those incredible, Probably let many other albums too, but he worked on Chains and mm. Sorrento Moon, that album, all those tunes were on, and that was a big deal. I was like, wow, you know, this guy's, he's been around, he knows some great artists, and wow, this is, again, overwhelming. Yep. So I went 
I went in head first. I thought, cool, let's do it. And they wanted to get a record done pretty quick. It was September, October by this stage. Mm. And uh, the option was like, hey, do you want to do a Christmas album? <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, yeah, okay, all right. Uh, it wasn't really the first thing I had in my mind. Mm. But I thought, no, okay, if they're asking for that, then then yeah, sure. And I, I was really lucky, I have to say again, with them signing me as a jazz artist, I was really lucky in Peter Carpenter, especially having faith in me, knowing that I could go into a studio with my band and I could do this myself and deliver them the product. With him having him having, you know, him having input about repertoire and me bouncing things off with him, but him knowing pretty much that we could do this and he could come to the recording sessions and stuff, but I didn't have to be stepped through it you know isn't it funny like in 2010 I had no idea what I was or the 2000 I had no idea what I was doing but now yep. yep you know which is a cool it's a cool yeah cool bit of growth very, I, I was cool. ready to, to make this how I wanted to make it and then deliver it to them yep so I had my awesome band I had you know Phil Stack Kevin Hunt Tim first who were my boys at the time and uh yeah I had all these ideas about arrangements and I got together with Kevin and we we, we got it all together and Phil and Tim as well and yeah, we put it down and we released it, a Christmas album, and it was fun. That's cool. It was fun. How, yeah, I'm how, really proud of it. How well did it do? Did it do, do good? Um, yeah. It did all right. Mm. It did all right, but the really, a really interesting thing happened, you know, me and the land of record companies, a really interesting happened before they released it was, I can't remember who it was who told me, the team that were working with me, they kind of almost sort of admitted and this is this sounds like I'm like oh it didn't sell well because of this it, it whatever for whatever reason yep. someone had said to me just before it was released oh the marketing budget we had for it we've had to take half of it back and put it into another artist for something other we're doing and I'm like oh okay oh, oh so we don't have the marketing budget so what do you want how do we how do we put this out so it was a little bit it was an introduction into yeah record company land your marketing budget's been halved but then you still expect to sell, you know, you still expected to sell this album well. So I thought, well, God, how do we do that? How do we do that? So I just did as best as I could. You know, I did whatever they, we could, we did a really fun launch down in Double Bay at a, at a club. I did lots of press, as much as press as I could. Um, but all the lots sort of the live shows and a string of things that we might've had plans for never really came to fruition because we had no budget to do it. And yeah, I mean, I think it sold okay, but it wasn't, it wasn't great. Right. It wasn't great. I had a lot of live gigs that year, which was awesome. So I got to play all the tunes and we, you know, we did a lot of, a lot of gigs and stuff, but yeah, it wasn't great, but it was what it was. And, and I was pretty disappointed with that whole marketing budget thing, but I thought, okay, well, you just live, you learn, you get on to the next one. I'm, I'm optioned, optioned for six records mm-hmm. here. So with no amount of time, I didn't realize that too. The contract was like six options, which means like six albums. Mm. And there was no, there was no time limit. Right. So I could have been with them for an eternity Forever. until yeah. I finished those six records. You yeah, know? Right, right. And yeah, so I was like, okay, we've done that one. Christmas season's over. Um, I was, like I said, he was moping around about uh, Ricky Martin and, and that thing not ever happening in the Latin album until it was still my bass player stack. He said to me, oh, Pass, just shut up. Why don't you just do your own Latin album? You don't need Ricky if he's not going to do it. Just do your own one. And mm. I thought, yeah, okay, cool. That could be an interesting project. Let's do that. And so I just got started working straight away. You know, Phil was like, oh, we could do a Beatles tune and we could do, you know, a rearrangement and do some sort of Latin feel to it. And um, and I was like, oh, yeah, we could do this. And then I got together with Jonathan Swartz and Elan Kidron, who's the vocalist with um, the Pop Bellies. And 
we did some co-writes together for um for actually for the Christmas album too. We we co-write the co-wrote the title track for the Christmas album, and then that spurred us on to writing some more tunes for this Latin album. Mm. And so I was raring to go and went back into you know Peter Carpen and said like, cool. So the next project let's do this Latin thing. And I didn't want to leave it to the imagination too much, so I actually went into the next meeting DNR with samples and sort of pre pre sort of demos of what we wanted to do and mm. played it to him and he loved it and thought it was going to be great and and um, again I'm sure this you know Peter Carbon was was awesome he was great to work with it wasn't his hands I'm sure it was the powers that be up the chain somehow right. it got to that point where I was feeling this thing like I was um, ready to record and say okay let's go in we'll do this and and I'd get an email back saying oh you know great we've just got to just got to check on the budget you know and, and time we'll just, just wait just hold on and I was like okay cool no let me know when you're ready and I'd wait a few months, well, a few weeks even, and drop another email saying, look, I'm ready to go. How do you feel? What do you think? Oh, I've just been checking with accounts, you know. And I was thinking, oh, my God, something's up here. This is weird. And, um, again, being really fortunate through my career of having great connections and meeting some incredible people, I had some ex-record company execs and ex-record company, you know, MDs that were friends of mine. And I kind of reached out to a couple of them saying, this is this is happening. This is, feels a bit weird. Like I'm ready to go on the second record, but I'm getting this response that it feels like I'm sort of being, you know, just sort of put on hold a bit. And they were like, "Ah, oh, that sounds like they're shelving you." And I was like, "What does that mean? Shelving. What, what's oh. shelving?" And I guess it was yeah, it was a term that I learnt that you know these people sign you, record companies sign you up, and they sign these artists, and then I guess it's like a yeah, it's like a they they place you on a shelf. And they've got you locked away. You can't do anything else, but they're not necessarily ready to do anything with you because they haven't got the budget or time ready or not sure what they're going to do. And I was like, wow, this is a thing. This is, this is, this is terrible. How awful. Hmm. We're ready to make music. The way we, the way we live, we, we play gigs, we tour, we do an album, we tour that album, we sell them on gigs. Like that's how we, that's how we make a living. Um, so yeah, it was new to me. So I had uh, really fortunate enough to beat these friends that I was getting advice from actually reached out to my A&R guy with me and them reaching out, sort of just trying to test the waters of what was happening. And sure enough, it kind of was that feeling of like, well, we don't have the green light, you know, so we don't know what to do. So luckily enough through these conversations of friends sort of helping me out too, they they were able to say, look, if you're going to do this, if you're going to shelve Emma, don't because, you know, she's ready to go. She's ready to go in that studio next week and record the album. She doesn't actually need you guys. It's, something that she wants to do and can do if you're thinking about doing that oh don't do it you know mm. which they could have easily just said like bugger off we're going to do whatever we want you know yep, yep. but um and i'm sure that's happened to I, I i shudder to think how many artists that has happened to it mm. you know scary but i was really fortunate peter carbon was awesome you know he was it was a very very amicable split for me i was really lucky to kind of go hey do you guys want to do this thing and they were like look we do but we just i'm like cool if you don't that's cool because I can go and do this and, you know, I've been an independent artist. I'm happy to go back there again. Like this sounds this sounds awfully blunt, but it's true. Like, you know, if you're with a record company, the, the pressure's taken off with you financially. You know, they're going to fund that. They're going to, they're going to, you know, you're going to have to make it up and work and sell the record to recoup and get yep. the money. But if the funds are up there originally for you. They're ready to go, you mm. know. As an independent artist, that's not the case. You've got to work your butt off. Mm and do as many gigs as you can and maybe ask your dad or your uncle or your grandfather somewhere for a loan, you know? Yeah. So for me, it was a, it was a treat being with them 
and maybe again having that door open to opportunity through a record company might meet other acts and other things might happen but at the, at the end of the day I was like well you know I can do this I, I, I've done it before I'll do it on my own if you're not gonna yeah. if you don't want to do what I'm ready to do let's let's call it quit so luckily yeah, it was like a amicable split and signed a piece of paper me saying like do I owe you anything and they're like no, no do, do you owe me anything are, are we good are we all good <laughs> and yeah then it was like this sort of like see you all the best oh that's and awesome. I felt that's really good yeah I felt really unscathed and very fortunate to have come through it like that right so on to and that. then I hit the studio yeah I was, <laughs> yeah that, that was my next thing so how long after that did you yeah get in the studio and, and record that Latin album I reckon it was pretty soon. Yep. It was, we were ready to go. It was within months. I think I released that in 2015. Mm-hmm. So I would have been working on it 2014, probably into early 2015. And I released it in September, I think. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty, yeah, it was a quick turnaround. I, but like I said, we were ready to go, you know, I had other guys and yeah, I, I mean, for me financially, I can't remember what I did back then, whether I'd, I think I'd been working enough and, you know, through the voice being on the show I had a lot of a lot of work, like a lot of gigs from from leaving it because you'd been, you know, you'd had your face on national telly and mm. and people wanted to book you for things, which were great. You know, I had a lot of corporate work, um, a lot of gigs with my band, and it was a really good run. Like it was it was fruitful, you know, a big fruitful year. I felt really productive and and so I'd, I'd saved a lot of uh, a lot of money. I'd saved enough money to to get into the studio and pay the boys and pay the studio and just make another record, you know, mm. and. Um, yeah, I, I bloody loved it. We still we had fun, and and the, all the guys that I had on the album were really great mates, and we had a you know wonderful time in the studio, and yeah, released it, and it got nominated for an aria for best jazz album of the year. Which oh, was awesome. really cool. That's great. Yeah, I was really really stoked with that. As did the Christmas album too. I think I think that was nominated too. I think so. Yeah, I was kind of uh, yeah, I was really pleased with it. That's awesome. Now that album, uh, Costa de Divina. Did <laughs> I say? Did I Costa de Divina? <laughs> Costa Divina. Costa Divina. Costa Divina. <laughs> yeah, it's. <laughs> yeah. It means like you know when when in English you know well you've got you've got kids you know and you and you might sort of grab their cheeks and you kind of go oh, like I don't know it depends how well they've behaved you yeah. cute little thing. Ah, cute, cute right. little thing. Right. It's the Spanish sort of saying for Cosita Divina. It's what my husband used to always say, and so that's why I wrote that song for him about him. <laughs> that's that's really cool. Um, there's one song because uh, I was listening to the album the other day, and there's one oh, yeah? yeah, there's one song particular, and I listened to it and I went, "How the hell did you sing that?" So I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna play a little bit of it. All right. I think I know what you're talking about. Can you hear that? Yeah. Right, <laughs> yeah. so here it comes. Listen to those boys go. Woo. So the song's called Cricket Sing for Anna Maria. Listen. Hey, Maria, Papa said, you better go to bed. Maria, Mama said, you better go to bed. Your little sister said, you better go to bed. Your older brother said, you know what Papa said, you better stick at night. You better shut the light. Your Papa told you, you can't go out tonight. But Papa didn't know. Maria had a date and couldn't let him wait. So in a little while, she waited till the lights were low. She went up the window to a bow. And so there's a lot of hugging him, a lot of kissing him, a lot of hugging him, a lot of kissing him, a lot of happiness. Right. So for me, how do you breathe? 
It's like oh, that makes me miss my boys. Makes oh, me really? miss my boys. I want to do a gig. Shit, I want to go and do a gig. <laughs> um, oh gosh, how do I breathe? Yeah, I mean, yeah, God, I don't know. This is yeah, open this, my mouth and hope for the best. Yeah, this this is speaking from a non-singer. Um, yeah, and, and I did try, I did try to give it a crack myself. And, oh, nah, and- probably got about a <laughs> couple of words in, and then I'm. <gasps> No. You know. <laughs> no. It's all that swimming I do right. in, in the ocean. It's all my Bondi Bay swimming, I reckon. Right. No, it's not that. No, that's good. Um, well, I mean, no, it could be. It could have something to do with that. I don't know. I mean, I've always loved I've always loved up-tempo things, yep. I must admit. And I don't think, um, yeah, I think it's a skill that, you know, you, obviously like anything, the more you do it, the better you get at mm. it, hopefully. Mm. Uh, and I think it was early on, you know, back in the days I'm talking about singing with, with James, um, you know, and being on the road with him for so many years, like so many years. And in those early days, we were on the road a lot. You know, I, I never really technically moved out of home because I didn't have to because I was never there. Like mum and dad said, there's no point going and renting somewhere or living somewhere because you're never home anyway. Mm. So we'd be doing a lot of gigs and and being with him on the road, you know, and on stage next to him, you just always have to come up with, with stuff that would, you know, I don't know, what's the word, like stuff that would keep up with what he's doing. Like right. he's so phenomenal. Right. And tempos would change, change, you know, all the time. And mm. we used to do, we used to do an arrangement of Undecided, which is the first fast kind of like, first thing you do, and then you don't, then you do well, that's when you want, you're undecided now. So what are you going to do? The things, the things, like a little stop that thing and, and I remember just thinking when we first did it, oh, God, how am I going to keep up with that? You know, so it was just like <laughs> the re- the repetitive thing. And, and also, too, with him just trying to keep up and trying to keep things that would keep you keep you on your toes, keep you on your toes, keep, you, keep him interested, keep all of us interested in what we were doing, you know, like up the ante, so to speak, every, every day because he was always on, you know. Right. Yeah, so I think with tempos and, and rhythm, I just always, I love it. I, I don't know if, I, if it's any any good, but I, I enjoy it. I like I like the challenge of it, you know. That's cool. That particular song, um, when you play it live, that yeah, yeah, the crickets sing for Anna Maria. Um, yeah, is it? So you, do you, you do you count the songs in yourself? Or, well, or does, does Tim Tim count them <laughs> yeah. in? Or yep. Yeah, I mean, if you talk about look that 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 record there, that's my that's my band. It's Kevin Hunt, Phil Stuck, and Tim Firth. They're they're my trio. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I do. I do. I mean, I, I think actually now because that was done. Into, I think now on the road we probably do it a bit, bit up on that sometimes. Faster, which right. All right. of us into a bit of trouble sometimes. <laughs> but no, I, I do like. I do like to. I mean, Tim, Tim, uh, you know, Tim. I'm sure you know Tim. Tim, you know, sometimes will look at me if I'm counting something and you can just see it in Tim's eyes. He's like, Pass, no, no." Right. <laughs> <laughs> so often, often I'll throw it to him. Oh, you take it, Tim. You set it up. You know where you want it. You yeah. Because it it's a feature. It's a drum feature on the show too. On the on the band when we yeah. Because there's, there's a solo in that, isn't there? That song. There is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah awesome. Yeah. He's cracker, man. Yeah. Tim's yeah. Tim's something else. Um, I love him. I love you, all of them. Have you been following Tim's Instagram these last few weeks? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the one today, the finale today. That, that oh, that that had uh, that had me. It was too much. It was so funny. He's such a crack, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was talking. I, I was talking to him the other day um, about you, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, um, and he said, really? he said you're the the best best band, one of the best band leaders. Um, you're very kind, but yeah. you swear like a sailor. 
Did he say that? Yes. Bastard, dairy bastard. Yeah, but but you know your name might be up in lights, but you're you're the complete opposite of a diva. Um, oh, and he said he you have that? you have great between song banter. Um, oh, he didn't he say no, that. He he did, didn't no, 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 he did say that, but he but he said it also goes on way too long sometimes. And, and <laughs> he that, hates it. All oh, right, he hates it. <laughs> He said that right. That fifty bucks I gave him <laughs> sound good. That's it. I'm gonna take it back. Look, yeah. I know it's true. My banter does. I rattle. But look, I learned from the best. I was on the road with James Morrison for yep. twenty five years. Yep. You want to hear someone tell a story? Oh my god. But yeah, that's the difference. James was good at it. Yeah. <laughs> James probably like, okay, back, shut up. <laughs> but I, I do like. I like telling stories because I like. I like setting tunes up. It's like a, a bit of a cabaret in a sense as well. You know, like I mm. like. I like the audience to know uh, the reason why I perform or, or sing a song that I, you know, the reason why I've chosen it. Mm. And it's true when you're on the road and you're touring, you can be night after night doing things. And so you do end up probably telling the same story, but you've got to remember that, you know, the guys in the crowd, the guys and gals and ladies in the crowd, they have necessarily, they might be the first time ever seeing you or hearing you. Yep. So I want everyone to have the same experience kind of thing. So that's my excuse anyway. Yeah, and cool. also swearing, yes, you're right. My dad would be mortified. He does, he says I, I would make a sailor blush. I'm <laughs> sure he's very disappointed in his daughter. <laughs> oh, very disappointed. Um, you have just currently finished recording a new album. Is that right? Yeah. Right. Yes, indeed. Unfortunately, fortunately and unfortunately, yeah. now that COVID-19 hit, mm-hmm. I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have literally finished. Again, it was another it's another independent, you know, self-funded project and uh finished to get actually put it in for mastering maybe about 2 weeks ago on the sort of day before everything went to custard. Wow. Um and so yeah, I've kind of I again I'm so I am I'm really super proud of it. It's captured a moment, you know. I said I'm 42 years old. I've captured a moment of where I'm at now, you know, and the arrangements and things that we've been playing on the road and the boys sound, you know, Tim and, and Kevin and Phil just sound phenomenal on it. You know, I think I love them. Mm. They sound so great. And um, I'm always so excited to play with them and make music and mm. create things. And yeah, they're just, they're next level. So I, I really am, I just don't know what I'm going to do with it. I don't know when I'm going to, you know, release it if I have to. I don't want it. Do we have to, maybe we don't have to move to the virtual world, do we, for too long? Well, I, I, I don't think so. Uh, not, Hopefully it will come back. I think it'll come back. Um, to, yeah. to to what extent? I have, I have no clue. Mm. Um, but you you just mentioned the mastering of it. I mean, I guess that's mm. something. Depending on who the mastering people are, if they're still operating, that's something that can still go ahead because mastering is usually just a one one Guy dude, in the studio. a dude that's been used to self isolating for. <laughs> Yeah. For years, you know. <laughs> That's right, a guy yeah. or a girl. Uh, or a girl, yeah, sorry. Yep. yep. Did a lot of my lot of my lot of my mastering. She was for many years she's mastered most of the things I've done and I've used this guy at three oh one called Steve for this one. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's um it is it they're right they're in a world of isolation anyway. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um earlier uh in March, Don Burroughs passed away. Yeah, beautiful Don. Um, you know, having been in James's band for as long um, as you were, um, James and Don had quite the relationship. Um, they did. Do you want to talk a little bit about, about Don and the experiences you had? And Yeah, sure. Yeah, cool. 
It's a lovely, it's a lovely, I, I love when I, when I, now that you just mentioned it, I love, it brings a, you know, a smile to my face and he, yeah, it, it's such a beautiful thing where he said their relationship to our, we've all often talked about it and I see it in this way too. You know, Don, Don met James when James was about 16 years old as well, same as me, and sort of took him under his wing as his mentor. And that's certainly how I felt that James returned the favour to me, you know, when I was 16 and Probably, I'm sure that happened, and it does happen with James and fostering young talent because of what Don did for him, you know, all those years ago. Mm. Um, yeah, Don Don was phenomenal. What a character, and what an incredible, extensive career he had. And mm. yeah, it was really, really sweet. I mean, I didn't come into his life obviously until later in his life, you know, for the last twenty odd years. Mm. Uh, but having the chance to record with him and actually record some of his music too, which was really cool. He'd written a beautiful song called Whenever many years ago and, and he allowed James and I to write some lyrics to it and I recorded it back on that first album you were talking about in 1990. And just working with him on stage and then more more often me standing back on the stage and watching James and John uh, James and Don do their thing and seeing their connection and, and being really, you know, blown away by that. And he, throughout my career, he's been nothing but, supportive and always you know said the kindest things and helped and guided and and yeah geez he was a funny bugger too well was he yeah um, <laughs> i'm sure gordo would have a lot of stories for his right. Gordo and kevin both they, they both toured in his band for many many years he was a character yeah um, yeah beautiful soul and towards the end it was gorgeous for all of us kevin especially you know james and judy took very special care of him in, care of him in the last few years and kevin especially had a big part in his life the last few years and we'd go up with Gordo and I and Phil and Andy Firth and quite a few other people, Craig Scott and a lot of people in, in the industry that he'd played with, we'd go up to the nursing home and we'd play concerts for him at Christmas and his 90th birthday we went up and, and played for him and had a concert and, you know, things were deteriorating for him then but there was no denying that as soon as that music started playing, Don would sit there in his chair and he'd put his head down and you know, he'd sway and he'd tap and he'd be away, you know. I watched that video today of you sitting oh, at the table, you? yeah, singing with him. Oh, sorry, you were singing. Um, but you're very much there because, like, you would go to sing a certain part of it and he would lean over and, like, he knew what the was melody. going on. He knew what yeah, was yeah. coming. Yeah, yeah, that was his song. You know? yeah. He wrote it. It, yeah. it was just, he was beautiful. Yeah. And and he'd know, he'd know when you mess anything up. Right. Or if anyone played the wrong changes or, you know, the wrong melody. And I was certainly guilty of all of those things. Mm. But he, he, yeah, he was, yeah, such a sweet spot soul. It's, um, and gosh, yeah, the career that he had, I mean, he was back in the early days of television, you know, like yeah. he was a, he was a star, household name, you know, mm. he was everywhere. Mm. Yeah. What a character. That's cool. Um, Another, and that, that, I mean, that's not, that's not as, not as bitter a taste for 2020 as in we're talking about how terrible it's been, but you know, it was, it was time. Donald had that's an incredible a natural life. Thing. Yeah. He was 90, career. 91. 91, 91, yeah. Yeah, right, yeah. Mm, so a little bit more, you know, expected as to pose what we're talking about, beautiful Tash, that was yep. that was ripped off for sure. But, right. Yeah. For sure. Mm. Just on the Tash thing, we, yeah. were, we were talking the other night about um, uh, the last year's season of The Voice. Yes. Last year mm. T- Tash was on The Voice and it was the, yeah. um, the All-Stars season. Um, you got asked mm-hmm. to come back for that, right? Didn't you? I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. I 
they did. Can, can, yeah, you, you was, were telling I me the, the other call. night. About, yeah, you were telling me the other night the story about about uh, had you got the call and and uh, you were with Tash and I was with Tash. Yeah, yeah in her yeah, living room. Yeah. And um, I'd said to her, oh, I just got this call about going back on the show, and and I remember being yeah, I was on the floor and she was on the couch in the living room with Bootsy, as you have met because yep. you you know Bootsy. Yeah. And um and. And I said, oh, stuck. and she said, were you going to do it? And I said, no, I don't think so. I, I, I don't know. I felt, and I wasn't, at that stage, I wasn't sure and didn't know what all stars meant. Right. You know, I didn't really know that going back on it was, you know, I just thought, would you go on it again? I was like, and I was, I was being, I sound quite full of myself. I was like, do they want me to go back on as a guest artist or a contestant again? I was really confused, right. honestly, because I'm like, but I've already done it. I didn't get what they were going with. But um, anyway, so I sat and had this conversation and Tash looked at me and she was like, well, do you think I should do it? And I was like, I was thrown for six. I was like, what? You would do that? I just, I wasn't expecting it from her at all, especially yeah. as you know, too, you know, she was, she'd already had a diagnosis by this stage yep. and was into treatment. And, um, and I just remember, yeah, I remember seeing her face and, and she thought, well, yeah, why not? And I thought, absolutely. I thought to myself, the same reason why, well, not same reason, but similar reasons. I thought, well, yeah, she's having that feeling that I had of like, well, you know, why don't I give it a go? Well, and, you know, I was thinking to myself, this could be a great thing for her. It could be, if she wants to do it, it's something she wants to do. Mm. It can be a, a distraction maybe as well from what she's having to deal with. Because, yep. man, you know, the last year and a bit, she had so much to deal with. So, yeah, we supported her all the way through that, every mm. every bit of it. I, mm. And she shone, man. Oh, you know, regard, TV show, regardless. You know, reality, whatever goes on in a TV show, I didn't care. She she just sang the balls out of it, you know, yeah, and yeah. she she shone her light and she made a mark and now I'm getting upset and I don't mean to be, but I'm just so glad that she did it along with that. Sorry, dude. It's all good. Sorry, dude. Along with that, her doing that show and her doing your podcast, I'm so glad that she did all those things because now we have them to keep on record and mm-hmm. listen to her and I listened to your, I'm going to snap myself out of it. We listened to that podcast. I listened to that podcast a few weeks ago mm. um, of her with you and I remember when she did it with you how much she loved it Yeah. and I hadn't heard it, you know, until recently and I didn't know if I was ready or not to hear it but now I'm so glad I listened to it. Yeah, because, awesome. Yeah, it was so great just yeah, hearing was... her voice and I could see her clear as day. And, yeah. Bootsy and the couch, and yeah, it was just beautiful <laughs> to have. And I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it was, was very great. cool, very, very cool, very, uh, yeah, very special time. And yeah, like you said, very glad we did it. And yeah, yeah, she will be remembered always, totally, <laughs> totally. Yeah, just going back to the vocal technique thing, um, yeah. Part of your sound and and your vibe is. You're scatting. Mm. Mm. For me, um, I'm just asking as someone who doesn't know how to scat and is really interested by it, oh, is, yeah. is there a vocabulary? Like do you have um, – you know what I mean by that, eh? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and, and, and is it something that – is it like a universal vocabulary or is it something you work out for yourself? that works mm. for you? Is there sounds or is there words or is there like a, 
yeah. You're asking a manual all or these incredible <laughs> a manual. Is there a manual? If there's a manual and you get hold of it, can you I can send give it, it to you? Okay. <laughs> that would be cool. Yeah, if you get to me, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. There are there are many other. Eve, it doesn't matter about worldwide, but many other Australian vocalists that I would put you in touch with okay. who are much better than I am at executing and knowing about it, I believe. Um, you know, there's a quite a few that I could put you in touch with. They're, they're phenomenal. So basically, well, strip it back. Um, yeah, scat singing is basically just improvising. You know, it's like, you know, when you're at a gig and if you're at a jazz gig especially, and you're playing a tune, you know, and the singer comes out and maybe we, we, we sing the tune and you'll, you'll hear the lyric and you'll recognise the song and then the guitarist will take a solo. Mm. So basically that's all what scatting is too. It's kind of like a vocalist um, horn, you know, a vocalist way to, to have an instrumental solo. Right. So it's just, yeah, it's just creating creating another melody over the changes, which what, you know, using scales and all sorts of things and, you know, whatever the instrumentalists are doing but then in your in your question which had many questions in it yeah there there is there's certain vocabulary that has certainly evolved and and been established i think over the early years i mean if you take it back right to the early early days you know louis armstrong would have been for me one of the first that introduced it um but i think even if you look back into the history of it there's 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 singers back in the early 1900s that would or, you know, people that would claim that they were hearing, you know, that sort of form or interpretation of scatting and, and improvising before Louis. But Louis was certainly someone who brought it to the forefront and of the modern world and, and really, you know, exposed it to everyone. And it's mm. just with him too, then it comes into that question you were saying about vocabulary or syllables or sounds or what do you do, what's your approach? And I think then that I think that is very individual and it so it should be because right. Yeah, just like a guy with his tenor, or a girl with his a girl with a tenor, or a, a trombone. You know, a girl playing the trombone. Um, she's going to have a different sound to you know Joe Joe Bloggs on the trombone, who's next to her in a section. And so, it's very individual, I think. And mm. over the years, scat. Well, Ella Fitzgerald is probably one of the the most well known vocalists from our genre and our you know. Yeah, our genre that that really brought it to the forefront. There were singers around that era, like Billie Holiday, that didn't really choose to have it in their mm. in their repertoire. They didn't really improvise that much, um, as you know, as far as I I know. But um, someone like Ella Fitzgerald, who was a real really into improvising, she spent a lot of her time on the band Sammy Dizzy Gillespie, you know, like mm. heavy trouble player. So mm. I think her way of and her approach was very much imitation at the start. You know, she'd imitate the sounds and horns and things like that. And oh, wow. but if you yeah, if you look at Ella Fitzgerald compared to Sarah Vaughan, who was also a really incredible improviser too, her sound and her approach and her syllables and her, yeah, her sound was very much more of a classical, rounded, studied sound and Ella's was more like a let loose, wild, don't know what I'm doing, I'll just go for it kind of thing. And, and yeah, they'd, they'd, within that, they'd create so many different sounds and, and syllables. There was this tune that I remember back in the days of high school when we're talking about high school, and um, back to Roger Mannins being my saxophone teacher at the time, and Anthony Gullick, my bud, they'd make me mix tapes, and they'd you know give me all these artists to listen to, and Roger would give me stuff like Sonny Stitt and Sonny Rollins and Horace Silver and Freddie Hubbard and all those guys to listen to, and you'd be driving around in your car and you'd be really transcribing solos without really knowing it because you'd be listening to them over and over again and you'd learn the solo, right? 
and then you'd 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 sing along or you'd scat along to it, and then you know also in that you know I'd have a uh, the that classic um, classic version of Ella Fitzgerald doing air mail special. It's kind of like a you know, and it would just be such, it was so exciting for me to hear. And I would, I would practice that and listen to it over and over again until I got the whole thing down. And she'd take you into like, like growly sounds and all these different things that she'd do with her voice and that that really is a teenage girl that opened up to me going like my god you can do anything in this shit you know you can do anything you want um so yeah and you know she and she had influences she had um she was influenced heavy by the boswell sisters back in the back in the day you know these 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 girls from brought up in new orleans and and Ella Fitzgerald would you know want to emulate connie boswell and all that sort of stuff so it's all a little bit handed down through the ages and now it's morphed again in you know and there are so many so many great vocalists who are incredible improvisers I I and I'm not being down on myself I really don't count myself as one of them I really don't because I'm not I don't find I love having a try so to speak and I love doing it and yeah. I dive in but I'm terrified of it <laughs> at the same time um but there are there are a lot of singers in this country especially that who are really great improvisers I believe awesome yeah that's a great yeah. answer thank you for that Oh, thanks, mate. <laughs> That's all good. Um, you got to sing for Princess Diana back in the yeah. day. Yeah. Right. That's pretty cool. Yeah. How'd that go down? I reckon that was back in high school days as well, towards the end, like maybe year 12 or something like that. I was 16, 17. Um, it was, again, another one of those things that my music teacher had somehow got us involved in, something to do with the education department. Uh, and it would have been maybe one of those Victor Chang charity balls and okay. she was going to be there so we were booked as the school band to go and play the national anthem which was really cool <laughs> back in those days when i had no problem singing the national anthem i was really yeah, proud right <laughs> yeah nowadays I, I think we could we could do with a revised version Something different of our national anthem right. i do believe mm-hmm. uh but back in those young naive days i was so nervous thinking you know am i going to get the words right so one song that you get asked to sing that you're petrified of because everyone knows the bloody lyrics uh, but she was, yes, yeah, she was really sweet. It was, a, you know, I'm, I'm not a royalist by any yep. means, but, you know, you can't deny the fact that she had a huge international presence. You know, she was a pretty cool chick from what I could see of the things that she'd done and char- charitable things that she'd done in her life. And, yeah, it was a bit of a thrill. And she came over to us and met us and shook our hands and thanked us and just remember seeing her surrounded by a sea of photographers and thinking, my God, what a gig. That's wow. full on. And she even said to it, she even whispered to us and my music teacher going like, you know, it's not really, it's, it's a bit crazy, isn't it, all this? And we're like, yeah, it's totally crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She was almost like, that was, I think, one of the gracious things I could see about her, that she could see us. We, we were perhaps probably a bit overwhelmed and she would make us comfortable by going, well, oh, gosh, with all this malarkey, you know, it's a bit crazy. Yeah, right. What a sweet thing to do. Yeah. She didn't have to bother to do that, you know. Yeah. But she did. Yeah, that's cool. Now, before this, um. I mean, we kind of touched on it a little bit. I mean, you've got the new album in the can, so to speak. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Up, up to that point where COVID-19 sort of come in, what was, besides your gigs that you kind of had booked, um, what, what, was the, what was the plan? The album out, 
tour, that, that kind that. of thing. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, definitely that. I mm. had a great, um, yeah, even even just like really close to home, like this last two weeks, I was supposed to be in Adelaide for a week doing a doing an artist in residency down in Adelaide with some school kids, which is something right. that it's only sort of, I used to do a lot with James when we were working, we'd tour around and we'd go into schools and workshop kids, which was a thrill because that's how it started for me. You know, right. I, I know how important that, those moments can be and so I've only just started recently doing stuff like that with a really cool trumpet player friend of mine and arranger and composer from Melbourne, Ross Irwin. He's really cool. Caddy plays with the Cat Empire and does a lot of their arranging and horn writing. And he's just been a great mate for many years. So him and I go to a lot of colleges in Adelaide and we do a lot of workshops for a week, you know, artists in residence with the kids and then we do a big concert. So that was one thing we were doing recent, like now, like as we speak kind of thing, which was really cool. And then I had some, yeah, some fun corporate stuff coming up. And then, like you said, the album with with definite gigs and album release, you know, yeah. all that stuff. And yeah. and even working into Christmas, you know, we had, my agent and I had, we had stuff in the book for Christmas that, oh, I don't know, may still might, go may ahead. May still go ahead, yeah. It might. I mean, really, I don't, do you reckon, Stevie, I mean, uh, to me, I think we need a vaccine for this thing. Yeah before anything opens up again and you know it needs like we said before it needs to be manageable somehow but yeah like i said like i'm i'm no expert but just sort of mm. the vibe i get um you know we sort of get through that managing the curve reducing the curve get it to a point where it is kind of controlled and yeah maybe that vaccine yeah. will come and then some restrictions will be lifted and you know maybe it'll come mm. back to the 100 people venues i, I, I I don't know. That's yeah. my that's my kind of bag. I'm good with that. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what I said. <laughs> I could definitely do that's that. That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's um, my niche. I'll do that. Yeah. But yeah, I was thinking, you know, with the travelling too. I mean, the country can't really be open. Say if you the vaccine's not in, but you eradicate the disease, and we don't have any more cases left in Australia yeah. that we know of, we'll be pretty much out. But that's it. You don't have a vaccine. You can't open the doors again, can you? Really? Yeah. What's the point. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know either. Gosh. Silly. We're just in it. We'll, yeah. Silly trying to work it out, you know, yeah. beyond that control. We'll work it out. Um, Emma Pask, so much. Oh, pff, forgot to say thank you then. I just said. <laughs> <laughs> Emma Pask, so much. So much, yeah. I'm good with that. No, no. You are, you are so much. <laughs> <laughs> Emma Pask, thanks so much for, for being with me on the podcast today. Um, oh, thanks, Stevie. Really honoured to have you on the show. And um, we did have this teed up to meet in person. I was coming out to Bondi. Um, I know. Yeah, but. What a uh, drag. Ah, oh, it's all good. We'll, we'll definitely catch up soon and hopefully yeah. it's still I love gigging. that at least we've been able to see each other in this yeah, yeah, technological yeah. setup that we've got here. That's yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. One, one of the winners out of this whole COVID-19 is Zoom video conferencing. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. They should be sponsoring you for all your work that you're going to be doing now. Yeah, yeah. So um, apparently there's been some security issues. That's why I sent you that message today saying oh, okay. when, when we go to talk, you, you'll have to put in a password because apparently right. apparently, um, there were some polit- political party meetings, government meetings that got infiltrated. <laughs> some, oh, some people somehow got the link and then they just sort of – they just logged, logged it, like just sat in on these of meetings. Course. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I did with you last time because I yeah. have a Zoom account. Yeah. I didn't put the password and I just pressed the link and it came straight through. Oh, how funny. Yeah. But then, yeah, when I went to 
resend resend this link, the password mm-hmm. has to be there. So um, anyway. yeah, interesting. Oh well, well, mate, I'm I'm thrilled. Thank you so much for um, yeah, thanks so much for wanting to listen to me ramble on. No, I appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, Emma, we'll catch you soon. Thanks, dude. All right, catch yeah, you. for sure. See ya.